0: That's F-R-E-T 10. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com.
1: Hey, it's me, Ed Peterson.
0: Hi, Ed, it's me, John Kiltica.
1: John, we're in beautiful West Seattle. It's the High Game Podcast. And it's foggy. It's terrible out. It's wild. Spooky time. Yeah. 2024. It's like a portent of things to come. That's right. What do we talk about? We talk about guitars. Yeah, exclusively. Presidential politics of a sort. 2024. We brought an expert.
0: We did bring a presidential expert. Yeah. We brought Dave Dieterer, erstwhile president of the United States of America. Hi, Dave.
2: Hi, guys. Hey. Sorry that I blew my previous appointment, but I'm here with beverages and donuts to make up for my complete fuck up.
0: Well, that's great because now it's the new year in the tomorrow times. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, happy new year.
2: Wow. You guys have sound effects.
1: Like, happy new year.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Ed hates that. It's a soundboard. I kind of like that it made this feel super pro. <gasps> they got sound effects on the High yeah. Game podcast. Those guys are so pro, I could hardly keep up.
0: Oh, well, you got a guitar over there, huh, Dave?
2: I have my guitar, my main guitar, in my hands. Mm-hmm. This is my main guitar since the fall of 1995. It is a Fender Stratocaster.
1: Is that the best guitar?
2: This is the best guitar for me. What I'm holding in my hands is a 1994 or 1995 Mexican standard Stratocaster that originally came with whatever that medium, was it Daphne Blue? What's the blue? Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Blue body. Now, if you were to see it, it has a maple neck. It has a three-piece alder body from Stumac that just has tongue oil on it. So when the presidents made their first record, I did not even own an electric guitar. I owned a Korg Tuner, a SovTech Big Muff, <laughs> and a TS-10, Tube Screamer 10. I think I had two acoustic guitars at home at the time. I played a borrowed Harmony from the 70s, which sadly got stolen out of a Howard Johnson's parking lot in Denver The guitar I made that multi-platinum record with is in a ditch somewhere in Denver because undoubtedly they stole all the stuff, they opened the case of that one, looked at it, and they're like, this is a $20 guitar with three strings on it, and they threw it out the window. So subsequently, as we started to play shows and get more successful and have more pressure, I started playing whatever inexpensive solid guitars I could find. Like At that time, American Music had PV tellies for just under $200, I think just a straight up telecopy. I had two of those, a white one and a black one. And we're playing at the old 930 Club in DC. It's one of the longest running, best run rock clubs in the country. And a guy from Sony Music showed up with, you know, 30 boxes of new guitars for us to sign, right? And we're just ripping the boxes open, Chris and Jason and I, and pulling them out. They're in the plastic bags and just ripping the plastic off and signing them and putting them back in the boxes. Some of them were fenders, some of them were not, some of them were squires. And I just opened one box, I reached in, you know, grabbed the neck of this guitar that was still in plastic. And you know how it is, you, when you know, you know. My hand was around the neck in the plastic, and I was like, hey, Sony guy, I'm keeping this one. You can have one of my PVs. <laughs> I went backstage and set it up as one of our goofy three strings, and then I played it. I've played it almost every time I've played a guitar since 1995. I threw this one with the original body across the stage at a gig sometime in, like, probably 97 with no doubt. I threw it across the stage at the end of the set, and it cracked down the middle of the body. Yeah, so when I got home, I just, you know, ordered a body from Stuart McDonald and put it together. Give me a six-pack of beer and some donuts and a Stratocaster, and I can play any gig, I think. (laughs) ¶¶
1: Beverages? Yes. I almost missed the beverage thing because I was just watching you play. I'm very used to watching John
0: do that.
2: Do that E9, Court. Uh,
0: the whole thing. What are you drinking there, Dave?
2: I said I would bring beverages and donuts because I missed my previous appointment. I felt bad. I have been drinking lately, I'm really enjoying Guinness Draft Stout in a can. I prefer it on tap, but I love Guinness because it's low in alcohol, which people don't get. It's actually very low in calories and low in alcohol. People don't think so because it's like it's all dark and foreign and scary. I can basically have maybe two drinks in a night without like getting naked and dancing on the bar, right? <laughs> Do we have a donut segment as well? Because I did bring four donuts. Yeah, I'm
0: going to have one of these sugar ones. You guys help yourself if you want. We need to get our sponsor, Jeff, over here. Does he play guitar? I think he's a drummer. Okay. Jeff Silva over at Hotwire Coffee. He owns Hotwire, and they sponsor us. He is the drummer for Hobosexual.
2: Oh, I need to come back and do a morning segment where I can drink coffee.
1: Yes. I've got Yogi Kava stress release. It eases tension and promotes relaxation. A nice little herbal tea. And you're wearing your Uggs. What do you think about my Uggs?
2: I think they're good. Yeah? You know, it used to be like Australian surfer dudes in tiny shorts, right? Right. But being, you know, middle-aged dudes like ourselves and wearing them instead of being teenage girls or anorexic moms and suburbans. Right. It's good that you're bringing it back. John gives
1: me no end of grief about me and my Uggs, and I love them, and they're so comfy. I go out in public, and I do feel like maybe people are eyeballing my Uggs.
0: Well, Dave mentions the Australian surfer dudes with the tiny where shorts. where from. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that to you once, Ed. I know. And you said you didn't know if you had the bravery to do it. This year.
2: That's the thing about those Aussie dudes, man. That is effing studly to be like a dude wearing super, super short shorts and some fuzzy boots.
1: (laughs) Exactly. What do you got, John?
0: The brand name of this is Poppy. I've had it before. It's apparently some sort of prebiotic soda. Oh, nice. Raspberry flavored. It's very nice. There doesn't appear to... Oh, there is a slogan. It says pop culture. I get it.
1: You know anything about Ted McCarty?
2: No. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Gibson... Electric guitars. I have an Epiphone Flying V that's a Flying V Junior. One pickup stop tail piece, and I saw one online a few years ago for like five grand custom from some boutique shop in London. And I sent it to some guitar player friends, Kurt Block, Andrew McKagg, my doppelganger in the Presidents, and a couple other guys. I'm like, this is the coolest guitar I've ever seen. And Kurt was like, I can build one of those for you. Just get a shitty Epiphone Flying V and I'll paint it and do it. So that's my one set neck electric guitar right now, and it drives me bonkers. The string break, the the head Uh stock angle, trying to keep it in tune, the neck joints shifting around all the time. It drives me absolutely nuts. It looks cool. And I've had Les Pauls and SGs and all the rest, but I just could not get with it.
1: The Ted McCarty thing, his take on Fender was it doesn't take a lot of skill to take a hunk of wood and make it sound shrill. That was his Leo Fender review.
2: That's missing the point entirely. And it misses the point of how electric guitar fits into an ensemble and what it needs to sound like to be functional in a musical group. I mean, there's so many examples, but Led Zeppelin's the best one. A lot of the guitar sounds on Led Zeppelin's best songs are tiny. They're scratchy, little, funky things. You know, Jimmy Page's genius wasn't in getting some huge guitar sound, as he just knew how to fit all the pieces together. Right. You know, I mean, there's not just. It's not much more than that. It's just a little bit of drive on it. A little bit of drive? Yeah. You know, when you've got the greatest drummer of all time in your band, just let that fill out the space.
0: Did anybody ever try to get you into anything other than the Strat?
2: I tried playing a casino for a while, but nobody ever pushed us. I mean, Fender was happy to have me, but they didn't ever really push anything. They were really nice. You know, our first record, there's a little bit of six string, but I'm playing this three string instrument, which is basically just drop D down a half step. And Chris is playing the same tuning, just only two strings. That decreases your tuning stability even more. You've got these three floppy right. strings on there, not putting much tension on the neck. So you really need the guitar to be as stable as possible.
0: That brings me to oh, listener questions. Oh, oh let's
2: do it. Ready? Yeah. Hey, Dave. Superfan Bender here.
0: I
1: have a question. During your career with your former band, you guys were always known for using one, sometimes two, and I believe three-stringed instruments. I want to know what the trial and error process was like in selecting the gauge for the strings and why you chose what you chose and why it worked best for you. Rock and roll forever.
2: Rock and roll forever. Good question. Chris, his first instrument's piano and keyboards, and he's actually a really good piano player. And then he came to guitar in high school kind of totally in his bedroom on his own terms. He has his own weird voicings that he does he doesn't do anything like anybody else he has a great ear he just finds shit that sounds good he didn't have any idea that i gotta have a strat through a marshal with a fuzz face i'm gonna sound like Hendrix, you know I'm he didn't have any of that dogma he already was messing around with taking strings off the instrument then he was in a band with mark sandman the late great mark sandman from morphine who in morphine played two-string slide bass we're all from here, but Chris lived in Boston and New York a little bit in the 80s and 90s, and he and Mark used to jam all the time. Mark would bring his two-string slide bass and bring some weirdly-tuned, open-tuning guitar for Chris. Chris and I started playing together when we were, like, 19. Played music together for 10 years before the presidents happened. We've always had, like, a magic kismet. When he moved back to Seattle for good in the fall of 1993, he, we just did what we always did. I had a rehearsal space up on Capitol Hill And he had these songs that he'd written in this open tuning. So for a while, I kind of tried to play six string on these songs. And then eventually, after a few weeks, I just gave up and went to the three string tuning. Throughout, I played mostly in that root fifth. It's a drop D, but we were down a half step. Bender's going to get more than he bargained for. We ended up in C sharp because we had these shitty little like harmony guitars and stuff with movable bridges. And we would just tune as low as we could and still not be sharp at the 12th fret, right? So we just kept moving that bridge back and tuning by ear. We played shows for a year without even having tuners. We just tuned to each other. (laughs) And eventually when we finally got tuners, like, oh, we're really close to C sharp, which was just as low as we could go and still have intonation. That's close right now. Anyway, by the end, I think I was just buying Ernie Ball skinny top heavy bottoms and using the bottom three. Chris and I both experimented with using like the heaviest guitar string you could use on that C sharp, like 60, 62. Chris used a weird, really heavy string on the bottom, like a 62, because he just had these two. And we were tuned to the same notes. He wasn't an octave below me. He just thought like a bass player and had his strings spaced two apart, if you will, one missing in between them. So it was almost like spacing on a bass where I had mine together. And thought like a guitar player, and I had a couple effects. He was like a 62 and then like a 32 or a 34 on top because he wanted it to be real bendy. One of the cool things about being in a root 5th root is you're ambiguous in terms of major and minor, right? But the main thing was, will it stay in tune? And will the gauges against each other
0: intonate? Was there one point or one song or one time where you realized that strategy was going to be the way to go? There
2: was. The first eight or 10 gigs we played, we didn't play with a drummer because we didn't want to be loud. Chris had pretty bad tinnitus from playing too loud in a cinder block basement in Boston for years. And we played a bunch of gigs, just two of us, usually with our two shitty $40 guitars. And we both plug into the same amp at some gigs. This is the height of grunge, kids, where like people are moving to Seattle from Phoenix and buying flannel. And every gig is like tons of hair and flannel and cut-off shorts and Doc Martens and Marshall Stacks. I'd be like all dorky preppy in my Oxford cloth shirt. And Chris would just be weirdo bald guy in spray-painted gold boots. And we'd show up and just play Iggy Pop's TVI with no drummer. You see that kid? Down on the street? So we're playing that kind of shit with no drummer. It's sounding pretty weird. What normal people, not guitar dorks like us, care about is the groove and the timbre of the singer's voice. That's pop music, right? So we were very conscious at that point of wanting to leave sonic space to hear the vocal melody and the words the first time. So if you come hear us at the Crocodile, you walk out, singing a chorus to yourself right right also the cool thing about being in the weird tuning is you can play with all these rock cliches and tropes but still sound different so we kind of knew right away that it was working
0: yeah it seems like imposing restrictions on yourself opens up a kind of freedom and we were super conscious of that what about the timing of when this all happened that's luck i bought the first album probably right when it came out and i remember thinking Grunge? Not grunge. (laughs) It was a delineation that I was kind of happy to hear.
2: We got asked about that so many times, especially go to like Germany. You're from Seattle. You're not grunge. This is not possible. We're just doing what we've always done, which is write these stupid little pop songs and then figure out how to play them and try to get people (laughs) to like them the first time they hear them. We were lucky in many ways because it was a breath of fresh air locally just for people going to shows. And yet we benefited. Because at that time, there were seven or eight major labels, and almost all of them had sort of a stringer in Seattle.
0: Was there ever any backlash against what you did?
2: Right when the band started, Love Battery had made, I think, three records for Sub Pop, and they were just getting signed by A&M. And Jason still didn't commit. For him, The Presidents was kind of like his fun sideband right. thing we didn't hear this at the time but everybody's like dude man you go to the president's thing stupid you got to stick with love battery it's you guys it's gonna break through it's gonna be uh, amazing the only person who championed us i know at the time was kim Thale, who always dug what we were doing and got it right from the start i'll never forget playing one of the early shows with jason on the drums kim was right in front of the crocodile and i didn't know him i might have met him before that but I'm watching it. I'm just like, whoa, man, this is like probably just going to shoot this shit down. And then, of course, he's like the nicest guy. He's like, oh, man, that was so cool. Honestly, that time before having a hit record, that's the most fun by far. Right. Because people don't hate you yet. (laughs) We just didn't care. I really did not care.
1: I still don't. Back on the three strings, you said you pulled the Daphne Blue one out and just took it in back.
2: My three-string thing was in the third, fourth, and fifth slots. Yeah. Chris always did the fourth and second slots. Yeah. So what I would do, i just go backstage and widen out the nut a little (laughs) bit as needed. Somebody always had a leather man. (laughs) Having the three
1: strings and being locked into that, putting those guardrails in place. Yeah. Did you find at times, like, fuck these guardrails?
2: I never felt like we were limited at all. It forces you to have these different voicings that are cool and fresh sounding, even though the harmony and the chord progression you're playing is just from the pop warehouse of the last 70 years. Different inflection.
0: Let's see if you can figure this out, Ed. Okay. We have gleaned from Dave. That this guitar, mm-hmm. at least in its original form, is 1995. And it was new when he got it. Yes. It's 1995. You want to be Dave Dieter. Right. So what are you paying?
1: It was a, Just a Mexican ma- standard. Made in Mexico. Yeah. Like it couldn't have been more than it was 182 bucks. No, nah, I think 299. It's pretty yeah? close.
0: Yeah. Okay. Huh. We have had this conversation a lot lately. We're finding that the quality of the Mexican fenders just keeps inching up, up, up. Great. You spent some time not in the president's and not playing music i've had
2: five or six
0: careers yeah what were your careers well when i
2: finished undergraduate school i taught high school english and coach sports and took kids in the woods and like outdoor education
0: here in washington in
2: denver for a couple of years my last two years of school i went undergrad i went on the east coast my only goal when i graduated was get west of the mississippi so i was in denver for two years and then i was in seattle teaching for three years I didn't want to keep being a teacher and I almost went to law school and I ended up going to grad school in urban design and planning starting in the fall of 1993 at the UW. Then the presidents happened out of the blue. It all blew up over the last year and a half of my two years of grad school. I literally left my last week of grad school to go to New York and sign the record deal. And finished my last quarter's work of grad school at Bob Lang Studios sitting on the floor while we were remixing our first record to release it on Sony. Wow. You know, we're doing something they call a promo tour later in the summer. Record's coming out in July. Maybe I'll write my thesis in September. And the next thing, you know, like, we've got a number one record. So I did that, played music, and then I kind of went back into the public affairs thing in the early 2000s. And all through that, for various reasons, I became a quote-unquote thought leader in digital music. Right. And then the presidents own our first record, and we got it back right sort of at the dawn of the iTunes store at the end of 2003. And we had to set up our own distribution. Through that and speaking at events and on panels and stuff, I got invited to be on the advisory boards of some digital music and media startups. So at the end of 2006, I joined one of those companies called Melodio. And we eventually sold it to Hewlett-Packard. And then I worked at Hewlett-Packard for two years. (laughs) Then I was like, wow, I've worked at a big tech company that's sort of stagnant. What would it be like to work for one that's dynamic? Because scale is addictive, right? I'd been kind of a issues and education person in my 20s. I'd never thought about industry. So I kind of dug the scale part of tech. You can create something. And if you're at a big company or you have a viral hit you can reach millions of people in a matter of days i had some introductions at amazon and ended up working there for almost 10 years i was on the music team and then i left a couple of years ago i was done
0: that's <laughs> as good a segue as i'm gonna get into yep. another listener question Oh, oh let's do it
2: hey guys super fan chris
1: here i saw an advertisement for a one-string guitar marketed towards parents looking to buy their kids a starter guitar. Is it worth getting anything with less than six strings? What do you think? Buy or deny?
2: Buy or deny? Is that a feature on all your shows? Yeah, yes. It is. Buy or deny? Yeah. Oh, we have a
0: whole theme song. Really? I should just oh. probably play it, right? Then I will render my judgment. Yep. You gotta try it.
2: reminds me of like 90s power pop that's like a fountains of wayne song or something Oh, by because any instrument's good to have in the house one thing i realized and i didn't realize this until pretty much when we were done with the first pass of the presidents growing up we didn't have a piano in the house get a piano with that one string guitar but we had a dulcimer my mom bought a dulcimer but Our tuning was an electric dulcimer. Oh, funny. A dulcimer is the root, the fifth, and the root. And I used to sit and play that thing for hours as a little kid, just you know, with it on my lap. So the point being, any instrument in the house that you can bang on and try to get music out of is a good idea.
0: That sounds like a buy. It's a buy.
2: Buy the one string and buy the sixth string and get a piano. For God's sake, I wish I'd had a piano growing up. The piano, you literally see music theory in black and white, right? All the white keys are the natural notes in the key of C. All the black notes are the notes that need to be substituted to have all your other keys. right. You see the linear layout of the intervals of the notes, whereas on guitar, it's like, well, why are there some um, the frets down here are way far apart, and the frets up here are really close, and why is that? And you know it's just baffling just, yeah. The rhythm hand. That's so hard. Yeah. To have a sense of time and have that right hand go and be solid. It's hard. It's
0: crazy. Yeah, this is all great stuff motivation and creativity versus the tools we get hung up on
2: yeah i go back and forth i've done everything in the last few years from just play straight into a pro junior dimed and run the volume knob with nothing to recently add a pedal board with seven or eight different things yeah. on it i played a bunch of shows recently with just a fuzz face on all the time and use the volume knob it's very easy to get overly caught up in the tools it's
0: such a good lesson close your eyes and just listen.
2: I just want to be in tune. Like, all I'm concentrating on now and being in all these bands and learning all these tunes, like, I want to play the right notes. I want to play them in time. And when I play them, I want them to be in tune. And that in and of itself is a lot, you know? Yeah. What do people actually pay attention to? Yeah. One counterpoint to this. I do
1: find that playing a different guitar will force me to play different. Totally.
2: It does make you do something different.
1: Dave, we did a great job. Right? I've
0: got hours more. I think you have to give <laughs> Ed a grade because he is. Uh, I
1: really strive for feedback,
2: <laughs> positive feedback.
0: Yeah. A plus.
1: Ed. You nailed it.
2: <laughs> you guys, since I flaked and missed the first scheduled time, you guys both get A plus pluses oh, and I scrape man. by with a D.
1: Instagram.com, Dave Dieterer.
2: Yeah. And come out January 12th to the Underhills at Madame Lou's at the Crocodile. It's the dorkiest band on earth, and you, I guarantee you will have a good time. If you don't have a good time, I will
0: give you twice your money back.
1: Man, that's a heavy duty guarantee.
0: Well, Dave Dieterer, we gotta thank you for showing up, finally. <laughs> finally, finally. <laughs> to, to talk to us this has been fantastic thank you so much it was great i'll yeah. come
2: back sometime and uh, i mentioned a few people you should have on the show i'd be happy to make some intros there definitely some other local characters you guys should have
0: on yeah that would be great. Yeah. And for the listeners, we're going to get some pictures of Dave Stratt. Let's maybe some it. pictures of Dave. Yep. We'll put them up where we put them on the Instagram. Remember, mm-hmm. we are proud members of the Ruinous Media Network of music related podcasts. Still, yeah.
1: 2024, still a member.
0: Joe the drummer over there. All those guys. Who is your coffee sponsor again? Let's give him a pump. Jeff Silva over there at Hot Wire Coffee.
2: Next one we do, I'll come in the AM and we'll drink some Hot oh Wire my Coffee. God. Yeah. That'll be the best right there on California Avenue next yeah. to the post
0: office and then us we're thehighgame.com we're the hygiene on Instagram Hygiene, basically everywhere go check yeah. it out if you have any uh, pointed specific criticisms for Ed he's available <laughs> like, no no he only wants positive feedback A <laughs> yeah. plus Ed's A plus yeah. all the time thank you so let's come back and do it next week
2: Ed okay that sounds great okay great Dave I'll come back anytime uh, great you know I'm underemployed semi-retired but. perfect
0: Well, wow, that sounds cool. like an agreement see ya
1: okay bye thanks